When you're in the market for a new car, you want a vehicle that conquers your daily commute, easily handles the elements, and looks great too. You need the reliability of a Toyota and the confidence that your investment will last. Why? Because after all the carpools, shopping trips, and weekends out, you want a car that still has plenty of miles left in it and holds its value for a great trade-in deal. That's where Toyota leads the pack as the number one resale value brand for 2024, according to Kelly Blue Book's KBB.com. So check out the all-new, fully redesigned 2025 Camry or test drive a stylish and affordable Corolla sedan or hatchback. And remember, when you choose Toyota, you're not just buying a car for today, you're investing in trade-in value for tomorrow. Visit buyatoyota.com, the official website for deals, for more. Vehicles projected resale value is specific to the 2024 model year. For more information, visit kellybluebookskbb.com. Kelly Blue Book is a registered trademark of Kelly Blue Book Company, Incorporated. Toyota, let's go places. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hello and welcome to Happier, a podcast that, spoiler alert, is about how to be happier. This week, we'll talk about why you should shield yourself from worry and how changing your clothes can help you change your attitudes and emotions. I'm Gretchen Rubin, a writer who studies happiness, good habits, and human nature. I'm in New York City, and with me is my sister, Elizabeth Kraft. And Elizabeth, I'm, I'm sad. I think you're still sick. Yes, I am. That's me, Elizabeth Kraft, a TV writer and producer living in L.A. And Gretchen, I just think I have um, allergies, turn sinus infection, you know, turn whatever. Oh. So um, it's a common ailment <laughs> at this time of year in L.A. Um, but anyway, apologies for my voice, which is not at its best. <laughs> but anyway, Gretchen, uh, my illness aside... In episode 116, we had a try this at home to start a side hustle, which was inspired by Chris Guillebeau's uh, show, Side Hustle School, which I highly recommend. And we've heard from a lot of people about their side hustles. Yes, it's been fascinating. And this was a, a really striking one from Matthew. So he was describing his side hustle. He said, I started my full-time job as a purchaser about nine years ago, and I started my side hustle as a high school assistant football coach about two years later. As you stated on the podcast last week, we don't all work a dream job, a job we choose, or even a job we like. My job is just that, a job. I'm in no way passionate about it, but I don't completely hate it either. It's a means to an end. So when I was asked to help out with the local high school football team, I figured, what the heck, why not? I love watching the game on all levels. I loved playing the game until the game was done with me, and I look forward to teaching and coaching the game I love to our youth. The opportunity also afforded me the chance to give back what my former football coaches instilled in me as a young man, loyalty, trust, accountability, and toughness. 
Over the past seven years, whether it's game night, practice, or the weight room in the offseason, I have football, coaching, and teaching to look forward to by the end of my workday. Good day at work or bad day at work doesn't matter as much anymore because I know no matter what, that 4 p.m. bell is coming and I'll be participating in a function I'm passionate about to close out my day. So that was a great example of how a side hustle can, it gives you a whole different part of your day. And here it's like directly connecting him to some of his deepest values. So what a, what a happy side hustle. Yeah. And so great for those kids to have someone who's so passionate. Exactly. Exactly. And then Gretchen, in episode 119, a listener asked a question about home parties. Um, that's where, you know, someone will host a party and, and, and someone and sell items of whatever kind, whether it be candles or jewelry or Tupperware, most famously. <laughs> and we got a lot of responses and people had very different viewpoints on those parties. And this this listener had um, some good suggestions. And unfortunately, from the email, we couldn't tell the person's name, but it's a lot of good ideas here. Uh, the listener writes, if you decide to attend a party, have a buying plan. It's easy when you get to the party to feel overwhelmed or pressured into making a purchase, especially for us obligers. Go online ahead of time and scope out the products. Think about if you really need something, like a necklace to go with a certain outfit, a candle for your mother-in-law, or if there is something you like in your price point. If so, then buy it at the party. By having a plan, you will support your friend, but not leave the party unhappy with something you didn't really want or need. If you can't find anything at all you want or need, then reconsider attending. Or still attend for the fun and to support your friend, but know that you aren't going to make a purchase. Yeah, so that's a good idea. I liked her notion of buying a gift because, you know, sometimes there's nothing you want for yourself, but it might be great for someone else and you can, you know, save it for Christmas or something. Right, get that done and then um, use this as an opportunity to get some of that out of the way. And I would say that what's being used here is what, in Better Than Before, I described as the strategy of safeguards, which is think about when you might slip up and have a plan for it. And so what she's doing is if-then planning. If I go to this party, then I will buy this candle. If I go to this party, then I will buy this necklace. And so then, as she says, in the moment, in the heat of the moment, to get sort of distracted or overwhelmed and kind of do things impulsively that then you later regret. But by planning ahead and having a plan when you go, then you know that you're going to serve your values by you know trying to support a friend and then also keep to your own budget and how you want to handle it yourself. So This was a really good, very concrete suggestion about how to approach these home parties so that um, they don't become any kind of happiness challenge. Yes. So, Elizabeth, our try this at home tip for this week is to shield yourself from worry. Well, that sounds very appealing. I worry way too much. Shielding (laughs) myself from worry sounds like a good idea. But what does it mean exactly? Well, this is something I've been working on in myself, and that is to try to shield myself from other people's responsibilities, other people's worries. And not get drawn in to a worry that is not my worry. That's not my issue to solve. Mm. So what's an example of something that, you know, you get drawn into? Okay, so this is a perfect example. I thought about this very explicitly with you starting your podcast, Happier in Hollywood. So I was totally excited for you to start this podcast. It's fantastic. All these great ideas. Love the podcast. But as you were setting it up, I was realizing show notes. Because the way we do happier is I do the show notes and I send them to you and Kristen the night before. And, and, but, but I put them together, whatever. And I was thinking, well, with Elizabeth and Sarah, they're going to need to do their show notes. And how are they going to do their show notes? And what are their show notes going to be like? And, you know, and I had this moment where I felt like I had to like send you an email and be like, what's the plan? And I think you should do this. And, And then I'm like, you know what? 
I should shield myself from this worry. If somebody <laughs> asks me for my advice, I can give advice, but no one has asked me for advice. This is not my problem. I can shield myself from this worry by just stepping away and letting you guys worry about it because it's your podcast. And by the way, it's been fine. I haven't had to like do anything. <laughs> so why would I? You know what I mean? It's just I was opting in to worry when, when no one needed me to worry. Well, it's you have enough to worry about with all your responsibilities, Scratch. So you really don't need to worry about somebody else's responsibilities. Uh, of course, I do the same thing at times. So I completely relate. Yeah. Well, and then to your point, I mean, one of the negative consequences of not shielding yourself from worry, if you nudge and mess around with other people's worries enough, you may pick up the responsibility. They may be like, wow, it looks like you're really involved here and having this done a certain way. So why don't you do it? So this is a way to insert yourself into a process and maybe pick up a responsibility that you otherwise would never have had to deal with. Yeah. And, you know, it's shielding yourself from worry. One, it it adds, you know, to your own worry, which is not good, but also it can be a source of conflict. Like in my life, Adam and I have a lot of conflict over this because like I just said, I am someone who will worry about other people's business, basically, (laughs) um, namely Adam's business. Um, So I'll like know he has an early meeting, for example. And I'll worry about what time he's setting the alarm for. And you yeah. can imagine that this is very annoying to him. You know, it feels very infantilizing to him. And that's the word he uses to have me worrying about things that are his domain, like his schedule, his work, his doctor's appointments, whatever it is. He doesn't want me worrying about it. And So why do I take on this unnecessary burden to myself, which isn't even helpful to him? Is there a better outcome when you get involved? I don't think so, because um, I think at the end of the day, if anything, it probably turns him off and makes him not want to deal with it. You know, if I'm worrying about it, I think I'm better off just staying out of it. Now, see, this reminds me what I would always tell myself about nagging, because in The Happiness Project, I wrote a lot about nagging. And the thing, which, yeah, I guess this could be called nagging. Well, I mean, I guess it is a form of nagging, but um, it's like it doesn't work. You know what I mean? Even if you right. can kind of make a theoretical case for why it, it's acceptable, it doesn't tend to work. So and it just creates right. a lot of it, it's no fun to nag. It's no fun to be the naggy. But the thing is, why is this so hard? It is extremely hard not to get involved with other people's responsibilities and worries. Why is that? Like, why do we go out of our way to worry about other people's things? I don't know, but I do think it's helpful I, for me, and I'll, I can report back if this works or not, to think of it as shielding myself from mm. worry mm. as opposed to don't nag, mm. if you see what I'm saying. It's more, again, it's turning it into a positive of self-protective yeah. measure for myself. Uh, maybe that'll be helpful because it'll be like, oh, this I can free myself up to worry about something that is relevant. <laughs> you know, of course, I'll worry about something. You make a great point because it is exhausting to worry. It is tiring. And sometimes there's kind of this almost this superstitious belief that the more something's worried about, the better the outcome will be or like negative things won't happen. Because if I've worried about it enough, yes. I'm somehow going to magically control that, which is not true. And so, yeah, I'm one of those people for sure who feels that way. I almost like imagine like even like a force field or a curtain around you that is like, I'm just going to block that stuff out so I can focus on what's close to me and not get drained or depleted. 
by these other things that are kind of beyond my reach, but feel like I should be grabbing onto them. Yeah. You know, I'm going to go so far as to say this could revolutionize people's (laughs) lives. I really think a lot of us probably spend a lot more time than we even realize worrying about things that aren't our, you know, ultimate responsibility. And therefore, there's no point in us worrying. Right. This could be huge. So one way to put this, like you say, is shield yourself from worry. But there's also this Polish proverb, um, which is not my circus, not my monkeys, meaning, Mm -hmm. you know what, that is happening. Not my problem. So that's another way to think of it if uh, if that's catchier for people who are trying to get out of the habit of tinkering with other people's worries. You can just say, not my circus, not my monkeys. Nice. And let us know if it works for you. Twitter, Facebook, email us at podcast at GretchenRubin.com or go to happiercast.com slash 123 for anything related to this episode. And now we're going to hear this great song from Bobby McFerrin to help us remember to shield ourselves from worry. Don't worry. Be happy. Don't worry. Be happy. Don't worry. Be happy. Don't worry. Be happy. LinkedIn isn't just a job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. I now work with a team, and I am here to say that finding the right candidate and hiring the right candidate is one of the very biggest and most important challenges to anyone who has a small business. LinkedIn knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have the time or resources to hire. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash Gretchen. That's linkedin.com slash Gretchen to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, Gretch, this week um, you have a happiness hack for us that you're very excited about. I get so excited about these very, very small things <laughs> because I feel like they make such a difference in my life. And here it is. It sounds ridiculously small, but it will change your life, which is to open things carefully. Now, Mm, the thing is... Like boxes? Like boxes, like dog treats, any kind of container. So here's my observations, which I have learned the hard way, because I usually um, in the past would impatiently open something, kind of rip it apart, break it apart, and I would often hurt my fingers, rip the package stuff would pop out or spill out in some kind of messy way. And what I realized is that first, most things have a way that you're meant to open them. And if you will take Mm -hmm. one second and look for the little slot or the tab or like the little tear or the little, you know, dotted edge and you use that, Mm -hmm. it works better. And another thing with boxes, I finally got a box cutter, you know, like a a razor blade with a handle. 
And now instead of like ripping these things open and taking a really long time and being frustrated, I just go, you know, zip, zip, zip and just open it. And then the peanuts don't fly everywhere. This is the thing now where people do use all these kind of imaginative packing materials that make a huge mess yes. if you don't open something carefully. And then, you know, those padded envelopes that if you don't open them properly, they have that weird gray fluffy stuff that kind of flies yes. out and sticks to everything. You know, I'm like, but there's actually a tab that if you just pull the tab, the whole envelope just opens. Like, how did I not notice this in my whole life? <laughs> yes, I finally started opening boxes of laundry detergent correctly, because if you don't uh, open a box of laundry uh-huh. detergent correctly, you will have laundry detergent <laughs> everywhere for as long as you're using that box yes. of detergent. Um, and you can rip things, obviously, when you open them. You know, if, if there's something fragile, you can damage it yeah. when you open boxes incorrectly. Yes. And then there's often things like uh, we got this kind of new dog treat for Barnaby. And if you open it properly, it had one of those zipper things where you could press it shut. I don't know what, you know, those pressure closer mm, yes. things that like Ziploc yeah. bags have. And so it was very well designed because you could, it kind of was a smelly treat, we discovered. But you could easily shut it if you had just ripped it open by pulling the two sides apart. You would have ripped the whole package open and then you wouldn't have been able to use this feature of it. And so a lot of it is just slow down, take one second, look at what you're doing, and you might see that a lot of times the designers have thought, hey, somebody has to open this package, like, why don't I set up some system? And I'm embarrassed to say (laughs) how much this has added to the quality of my daily life. (laughs) Good for you, Gretch. You're finally opening things correctly. (laughs) Always evolving. Always evolving. And now it's time for the know yourself better. And this is such an interesting know yourself better, which is, do you use clothes to transform yourself, to set a mood, or to put yourself in a certain mindset? I love this question. Mm, Yeah, that's really interesting. Clothes are are just, you know, we talk about them often because they they loom large in our lives because we have to wear them every day. Yes. But I think like I definitely at times, even though I dress so casually, as we've discussed um, at length, <laughs> I definitely use clothes to set a mindset if I need to. When I first started getting really interested in this question, because I have a friend who became a federal judge and uh, be- before that she was a lawyer and she was talking about the robe and what it meant Mm. to put on the robe and how much that kind of influenced her mind. And she said that an older judge who was kind of her mentor said to her, pay close attention to the way that the robe makes you feel and always honor that, what it means Mm. to be a judge. And the robe, it's a signal to other people that you're a judge. It's a symbol that you should have deference, that you have authority. But it's also a symbol to you to remind you of the values that you're meant to uphold. And she said she can use the robe. She wears the robe in some circumstances and then doesn't use it in other circumstances in a very kind of thoughtful way. But we all do this. I mean, she has a very explicit kind of almost costume But all of us in everyday life are wearing, like you say, as much as you'd like to just bail out of the whole system, you got to wear something. Yeah. And I know for myself, if I have to pitch, I say sometimes we have to go um, to these meetings and pitch show ideas or, or, you know, um, episode ideas or whatever it may be. I mean, it's very nerve wracking. Mm -hmm. I know that if I have on really nice shoes and a really nice outfit in general, but especially the shoes, I just feel ready to pitch in a way that I just would not if I were wearing my running shoes. Why is it the shoe? So it's the shoes especially? 
especially the shoes. I don't know if it's because that's what grounds me, you know, literally. Or there's always the thing about sort of heels with women. And I may not be wearing heels, but um, the equivalent of sort of nice shoes that, that just make you feel elevated. Ooh, like there's a lot of kind of symbolic power there. When it's interesting because research really bears that out, they've done these studies, and these are kind of small studies, so you know you can't really draw too much of it, of what they call enclosed cognition, which is how clothes make you feel. But it does suggest that when you do something, that clothes can really change the way your mind functions. They did one where they had people do an attention-demanding task, and some people they told to wear a white lab coat, and they were told that it was a doctor's coat. And then other Mm. people were, were told that it was a painter's smock, And then other people just kind of saw a doctor's coat hanging there, but they didn't put it on. And what they found is that the people wearing the white lab coat and told it was a doctor's coat performed better. Oh, wow. So there was something about even if you're not a doctor, just wearing a doctor's coat and being told you're wearing a doctor's coat helped you focus your attention. So it's like one of these things that you can use it, even whether or not it's actually really true. It's like if it works for you, that's that's, that's good enough. And for instance, Scratch, I knew someone who did this. Um, an executive had gotten a new job, a big new job. And uh, I saw her at a meeting and I noticed she was wearing these amazing um, shoes. I think they were actually Christian Louboutin or however you say that with spikes coming out of them all over the shoe. And I said, wow, great shoes. And she said, I decided new new job, new shoes. And it was like, I could see that she was like, I am going to wear my spiky shoes to sort of own this <laughs> yeah, new job. I've seen those. And I'm sure she won't wear them forever. <laughs> but you could see it at just stepping into that position. She wanted to step in strong. And it's also... It's a sign of like, I'm going to be forceful and powerful in this new job. And it's also kind of the lucky charm. And I remember back in episode 59, we talked about why having a lucky charm, again, sort of like the enclosed cognition, having a lucky charm actually does improve people's performance. And so if, if there's something about you say about these clothes that's important or that's lucky or like these shoes are going to make me pitch better, it really might have that effect. Yeah, of course, you can also go the other way. So sometimes you're wearing something to, you know, get yourself in the mindset, police uniform, shoes in our case, (laughs) um, soldier uniform. Uh, But sometimes you want to go the other way and put on something to relax, to say, okay, now I'm not in my role as, as this other person. Absolutely. So just as you might use it to make yourself feel like stronger or smarter or more effective, you might use it to signal to yourself, now I'm going to relax. Now is my leisure time. Now I'm going to slow down and be in this completely different mode. And so your clothes are part of how you signal to yourself that you've shifted from one aspect to another aspect of yourself. Yeah. Like a lot of people like to put on a robe. Yes. When they get home. Putting on the robe. And it's it's sort of like it's a signal not only to yourself, but to the people around you. A friend of mine um, who has a big job was saying how when she would go home to her apartment, if she put on her pajamas, the whole feeling of the household changed. Because mm. when she put on her pajamas, it's like, I'm home, you know, we're kind of hunkering down in this like cozy situation. But if she didn't put on her pajamas, it meant she was going out again that night and sort of everybody sort of stayed at a higher keyed up pitch. Oh, wow. So for her, the pajamas made her feel more relaxed. And it also kind of was the relaxation for her whole household, she realized. So that was an interesting signal. Yeah, I remember when uh, we were young, dad would come home from the office and he would change. That would be the first thing he would do is change his clothes. Yeah, yeah. And then it'd be like, okay. Yeah, work work day's over. Yeah, now family time. 
Gretch, now one place where I've really taken this to heart is you remember we had on Ariana Huffington um, in episode 65, which yeah. she was talking about the importance of sleep. And one of the tips she gave was that you should always wear clothes to sleep in that are just for sleeping. Yes. So she said, even if you like to sleep in a t-shirt, have t-shirts that are just for sleeping. Don't wear a t-shirt you'd yes. wear during the day to bed. And I really embrace that. And there are nights when I just want to kind of wear whatever t-shirt <laughs> I have on to bed. And I'll yes. say, no, I'm going to take it off. I'm going to open my drawer that I keep my sleep stuff in. And I'm going to put on a fresh t-shirt before I go to bed. And I do the same thing for Jack. Sometimes he doesn't feel like changing into sleep clothes. And I'm like, yeah. no, put on something fresh because it helps you get in that mindset of now I'm going to sleep. Yeah, it's a fascinating question. So we will be very curious to hear from listeners. Let us know if you use clothes to bring out a certain attitude or an emotional state in yourself or to sort of switch gears from one part of your life to another. How do you use clothes as a way to know yourself better and to kind of control the way you go through the world? It's, it's a fascinating question. Yeah. Now for a listener question. Remember, you can leave us a voicemail question at 774-277-9336, which is 77-HAPPY-336, or email us or leave us a voicemail message at podcast at GretchenRubin.com. Yes, and Gretchen, this question comes from Bethany and Benjamin in the UK. They have a dog question. Hmm. They say, Gretchen, I listened intently to your personal debate about getting a dog last year. My partner and I have been discussing getting a dog for a number of years. He was four, and although I wasn't against the idea, I had more reservations and fears. Listening to you weigh up the pros and cons, I eventually decided we should get a dog, much to my partner's delight, and now the time has come. We've spent months researching the best dogs to suit our lifestyle and setup, and this weekend we collect our new puppy, a female chocolate cockapoo named TBD. <laughs> we would love to know if you have any advice for new puppy parents on how to make the experience of getting a dog as happy as it seems to have been for you. Aw. Well, that's nice. And they're getting a Congratulations. cockapoo. Yes. yes. We have a cockapoo. Yeah, love the cockapoo. Barnaby. Yes. Yes. I know. Bethany and Benjamin, they could have a dog named Barnaby. It would fit right in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Well, the one thing I would say is something that you've already done. So well done, which is to really do the research. Because mm. I did a lot of talking to people in advance, too, just like they did. And what you realize is that a lot of times... If there's a problem, it's not that there's anything wrong with the dog and there's nothing wrong with you. It's just that there's a bad fit. Mm. A trainer was telling me that they talked to somebody who said, literally, I want a dog who will stay in a crate for like 12 to 14 hours a day and then go running with me on the weekends. And they were just like, what are you talking about? Right. That is not <laughs> yeah. a dog. That's a stuffed animal. You know, uh -huh. you have to be realistic about what kind of life you're going to be giving this dog and how they're going to fit into it. But sometimes it's tough because... Some people's lives and situations are more flexible, and then some people's lives and situations are less flexible. And so you kind of have to be realistic about what is the kind of life this dog is going to have and how much tolerance are you going to have for different ways that the dog might be. You know, this is true if you're getting a rescue dog, too. I mean, I know a lot of people who have had, you know, amazingly wonderful experiences with rescue dogs. But just like with any dog, you want to think about, well, what are the circumstances that this that you're bringing this dog into and how is that going to fit with what um, what kind of dog it is and what kind of life that dog needs, you know. 
And so I think really thinking that through, not just falling in love with the look of a certain kind of dog and be like, oh, they're so handsome. I'll get one of those. It's like, this is a real dog with it's going to have real traits and real a real personality. And they are different. And it's something to think about. So she's done her research and she's yeah. and it does sound like she was very careful in choosing which kind of dog. So what are the things to do once she has this new puppy at home that can make it an easy transition into their lives? Well, one thing people told me, and it was very comforting, and it's really turned out to be true, is that there's nothing cuter than a puppy, obviously, but they do mm-hmm. chew on everything. And there's puppy behavior, and they outgrow it. And like everything that happens is the minute they've outgrown their annoying puppy behavior, you're like, oh, it's, I can't believe they're grown up. Right. I love the days when they were so little, you know. Right, right. So there's like the minute it's over, you're sad that they're not puppies anymore. But it is true. It gets a lot easier. So know that it'll pass. That time will pass. We basically couldn't leave Barnaby in a room by himself because he would just get up to some kind of mischief. And now he's just like a much more chill dog. It, Not that you would want to tempt him with some things that would be too easy for him to reach, (laughs) but that's better. And another thing to say, there are no badly behaved dogs. There are only badly behaved owners. Mm. So that's something, you know, we could be a lot better. So she should take the time to learn the training, basically. Yes. Yes. And that's on you, not on the dog. (laughs) You know, anything you don't like, look in the mirror. That's the one who did it. Yeah. But one thing that I did, and it sounds like they're kind of the same way, is loving to read up on it in advance. And in the show notes, I'll put a link to a post that I did called Seven Terrific Books If You're Getting a Dog. That was seven of the books that I found most helpful Mm. when I was thinking about what to expect from a dog and what I wanted to learn about having a dog before he actually arrived. Because I did read voraciously about getting a dog before he finally arrived. Now I don't read books about dogs at all. (laughs) But these are seven great books if you're interested and reading about dogs. So enjoy your new dog. And of course, you have to let us know what you name the new puppy. Yes. And also take photos. It's just like everything you think, oh, they're going to be like this forever. And then you forget. So take pictures. There are some stories about our father's life that I truly never get tired of hearing from hilarious to heartfelt, tear jerking to plot twisting. His retelling of the events always brings me joy. Just in time for Father's Day, I found the perfect gift that captures all his stories for our family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your father or father figure's life for years to come. And Gretch, you get a book of all these stories. And I love just keeping a book on the coffee table and anyone from any generation can see a story from dad, like what was his favorite toy or what was his first job? Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. Give all the fathers in your life a unique, heartfelt gift you'll all cherish for years. StoryWorth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to StoryWorth.com happier. That's StoryWorth.com happier to save $10 on your first purchase. Okay, Gretch, it's time for demerits and gold stars. And this week, you're up with what you told me is a preemptive demerit. Yes, this is a demerit that I can feel myself beginning to earn. I can feel it like looming over my head. So I needed some more casual clothes. And I like to go shopping when mom's in town because she just makes it a lot more fun for me because she's so enthusiastic about it. Mm. And she can make sense of stores in a way that I can't. So (laughs) she was in town. She very graciously said she would go shopping with me. So we're shopping. And one of the things that I bought was something I was very excited because I was like, I can use this a million different ways, which was a white cotton sleeveless blouse with a collar. And I thought, well, this is perfect because it'll be great for summer and I can put something on it. it looks, It's just sort of right. 
And what I can feel happening already, mm. and I only got this, you know, a couple of days ago, was I'm saving it. It's mm. so white. It's so pristine. It's so crisp. I almost wore it the other day, and then I'm like, no, I think I need to save it. And I got a few other things, too. And I feel myself, like, they're so nicely folded. You know, when you get it from the store, yeah. and they put the tissue, that crinkly stuff there, and it's all perfectly folded in the way that I can never replicate. And I just want to keep it nice and keep wearing my old stuff that's already kind of tattered and torn and stretched. Uh-huh. And I'm almost thinking I should have a week where I force myself to wear every single thing, because otherwise I'm afraid that I'm going to save it. Uh. One of my personal commandments is to spend out, to remind myself to use things up. Yeah. But it's this constant thing for me. I want to just hold it back. It's so funny. I relate because I have a new white T-shirt that I have not been able to bring myself to wear for the same reason. I'm like, once I wear my yes. new white T-shirt, it is no longer a new white T-shirt. Yes. Now it's an old white T-shirt that's <laughs> on its way to being gray and torn and disgusting. And it's like right now it's so nice in my closet. But I, there's no point in having it in the closet. You yes. got to wear it. And that's what how I tie it into my under by yourself is I remind myself it's just as wasteful never to wear something. Yeah. That's a form of waste. It's just being wasted in the closet out of kind of respect, out of my deference yeah. to these clothes. You don't always imagine, well, what if this really important thing happened and I wanted to have a brand new white shirt? Yeah. Nothing like that ever happens. And I mean, it's still going to be fine. You know, yeah, two years from now, it could still be sitting in the closet. Yeah. So <laughs> just wear it. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so, Elizabeth, what's your gold star? Well, Gretch, I want to give a gold star this week to all of our happier in Hollywood listeners. Oh, yay! Yes. You know, Sarah and I recently started a new podcast called Happier in Hollywood. Um, so good. Which is, thank you. It's all about, you know, our partnership. We've been writing partners for 17 years. It's about our friendship. We've been friends for over 30 years. And it's about how oh, to- Can I just say, I loved in episode four when you talked about the thing about like, have have a story. And when you guys told your story, how you tell it in meetings, that was so fun. I love that. Yes. Our Hollywood origin story. Yes. yes. <laughs> if you want to hear that, listen to episode four. Yeah. Um, and it's really sort of, it's about how to survive and thrive no matter where you are, what you do. But we do talk a lot about Hollywood and being TV writers in it. And we have gotten the most amazing response from listeners just emailing us questions, responding to things we've talked about, for instance, uh, whether or not Sarah should dye her salt and pepper hair. Oh, my we've gosh. We've gotten a lot of response. When I heard that. that, I'm like, people are going to go nuts for this because this is something people it's like it touches such an emotional nerve. I'm like, I bet they're going to hear so much from people. Yes. And we did. <laughs> um, and on both sides, on yeah. both sides. Um, but anyway, I just want to thank everybody because. I'm sure a lot of our happier listeners are listening to Happier in Hollywood. And thank you guys for listening and for responding and reaching out. And please continue to do so because we love hearing from you. And it really helps us um, know what everybody is responding to. So thank you and keep it up. Excellent. And speaking of podcasts, that's it for this episode of Happier. Remember to try this at home. Shield yourself from worry. Let us know if you tried it and if it worked for you. Thank you to our producer, Kristen Meinzer. Also, thanks to Andy Bowers of Panoply. Get in touch. Gretchen's on Twitter at Gretchen Rubin, and I'm at Elizabeth Craft. Our email address is podcast at GretchenRubin.com. If you like the show, please be sure to tell a friend and subscribe to us on iTunes, rate and review. And this week, the resources that I would suggest is 
I've often mentioned that I'm obsessed with color. I'm working on my book, My Color Pilgrimage, for fun. And one of the most fun (laughs) ways to indulge in the pleasure of color is to actually color. A lot of adults are coloring. And I did a book, The Happiness Project Mini Posters. And if you want to have a bonus sheet from that, I have one that I can send to you so that you can have a page to color. It says the days are long, but the years are short, so you can color that. And I also have a checklist for habit change. If there's an important habit that you're trying to change, this is a checklist that will take you through all the strategies so you can think through all the different strategies that you could use in order to tackle that habit. Because important habits, it can take five or six strategies working together to get you to change that habit. And for both of these, just go to happiercast.com slash resources, and it'll be there with the show notes. Until next week, I'm Elizabeth Kraft. And I'm Gretchen Rubin. Thanks for joining us. Onward and Upward.